Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. As we continue to wrap up the, the uh, letter of, of uh, Paul that he wrote to the church in Colossae, and it is um, going to be something we're going to be going through until at least the end of July, maybe the first couple of weeks of August. And so there's much to learn here. And we have just turned the corner from doctrinal issues into genuine life application issues. And this week, we're going to start getting our toes stepped on. So I hope you wore your steel-toed spiritual shoes. If you did not, uh, pray for those real quick and ask God to just toughen us up to receive what he has to say to us that we might um, grow and mature in our faith. So we've been talking about through the last weeks and stuff how we are in the kingdom of the Son, that when we as believers come to the Lord Jesus, he is our king. He has established a kingdom of light, and God has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son. And, And so we now have an eternal king who has made us citizens, brought us into the kingdom to live, knowing that we will suffer at times for the kingdom and that this kingdom has the greatest treasure of all time and that is Jesus Christ himself who is all that we need and because of that and in light of that we should rightly focus in how we live and Colossians uh, chapter 3 verses 1 and 2 this is that rightly focused living that if you have been raised with Christ and if you are a believer you have made a profession of faith you have trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You followed him in believer's baptism. You have been raised up to new life with Christ. You are commanded to seek the things above, to change your perspective from one of all of the things right before us and trying to be a better person and trying to be nice and trying to do good things into a place of Jesus is my focus and where he is is my focus and his goals and his ambitions for my life is my focus. So seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Don't sit there and plan and scheme about how you will achieve or do the next thing on your list uh, as far as careers or or the things you're going to purchase, but instead begin to live a life that sees the world through Christ with a mindset that is focused upon him. And so Paul now is going to begin to give us some very specific tasks to accomplish that will help us to think rightly and live rightly as we see the world through Christ. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them up to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be working on verses 5 through 11 today. It should be, the event should be available in your Bible app unless I mess something up. Uh, and, and so you ought to be able to follow along there as well. Colossians 3 Verses 5 through 11. So let's read through those together. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. 
Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. But now, put away the following. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. In Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free, but Christ is all and in all. And so we're going to begin to look at this list of puts that the Apostle Paul gives the church there and gives to us. And remember, all of this scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit, breathed out by the Spirit of God. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And so when we read this, this is not just someone's opinion, but God himself speaking to us as his people. So beginning in verse 5, that first word we see there, therefore. Some of your translations, it might say instead of therefore, it would say, it might say so. Um, and, and it's the same word in the Greek, same thought too. Therefore, when we see a therefore, it's a transition from thoughts that have already been shared into actions based on those thoughts. Same with so. Uh, When you see therefore, you ask the question, what's it there for, right? When you see the word so in your translation, the question should be, so what? Why is the so there? So what? So and therefore are both transition words that point back to what has already been taught as the foundation for what is going to come next. So what is the foundation of that therefore or that so? Colossians 3, 3 and 4. We've already looked at it last week, but just a reminder. Therefore, or so, there are actions you need to take. Why? Because, or for, you died. You are dead to sin, Christian. You are dead to the old way of life. You are dead to the slavery that sin had you in. What's interesting is once something is dead, what what is in control of it? What's in an authority over it? Well, nothing. Like, like if I die today, I don't owe any more money, right? I mean, my, my debts are gone. Why? Because I'm dead. Now, my poor kids, you know, who knows what they're going to have to suffer through. But, but for me, it's over, right? Uh, every promise I've ever made, if I were to drop dead right now, what is the power of those promises over me? They're gone. Why? Because I'm dead. Once you are dead, the things that used to have authority over you, the things that used to control you, they can no longer control you. Why? You're dead. Right? I mean, it makes perfect sense what what Paul is writing here. He is telling us, you died if you are a Christian. You're dead to the old way of life. It has no power, no authority over you. You have died. You're dead to it. The contracts of it are broken. The power of it over your life is broken. Nothing that used to have authority over you has authority over you because... You died. 
You are dead to the old way of life. And now you've been raised up to new life and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when your life, excuse me, when Christ, who is your life, the one you're supposed to be focused on, the one who is supposed to to be able to dictate to you what your life looks like. When Christ uh, uh, appears, then you also will will appear with him in glory. So there is this this coming day where, where the things that we are seeking now will come to completion when Jesus returns. But the therefore of verse five, it hinges on this idea that you are already dead to sin. You're dead to your old way of life. You owe it nothing, your old way of life. You, you, it has no power over you. You should no longer even consider it because you died. You died to sin. And so we get back to verse five. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. So Paul's argument is this. The Bible is telling us, the Holy Spirit is telling us very clearly, when you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you died to the authority of sin and the old way of life, and then he raised you up into a new life. And because you were, you were dead to sin, now... You must make the choice to put to death those things that are not honoring to Christ. To put to death the things that you still long for, the things that you still pursue that are an old way of life that no longer has any real power over you. But you, now that you are dead to sin and brought to new life, have to continually make a choice to put to death, to get rid of, to destroy old ways of thinking and living. Now, what's interesting is uh, uh, Shelly and I have had a discussion this week, had a little bit of discussion with the other elders this morning, that too often we read the Bible as though it were a self-help book. And what I mean by that is, we read a a verse like this, or a passage like we're going to enter into, and we read it and go, sometimes from the pulpit even, we'll say things like, if you want your life to be blessed, do what God's word says. If you want to be in better standing with God, do what God's word says. If you want to have a, a, you know, just a, a blessed marriage or a blessed family or you want to be blessed in work or you, know, you want your car to start every time you turn the key in the morning, you, you need to do what God says because he'll bless you when you do the right things. But as we've studied, as I've studied and talked with others, when we understand what, what God's word is saying here, it's not put to death if you feel like it and you want things to be better. It's not put to death if you'd like to be blessed by God. But what Paul is actually saying here, put to death, it is a command. And and it really boils down to, if you are a Christian, you must kill these things in your life. And the evidence of your faith is your willingness to, to be obedient. 
And if you refuse to be obedient, what does that say about your faith? There is a very good chance it's not genuine. You haven't genuinely turned your life over to Jesus as king. And so when he makes commands like this, we should not read them and hear them and go, yeah, these sound good. I'll try and be a better person someday and follow that. No, you need to hear this as though Jesus himself were before us, sitting on the throne, you, his, his, uh, his citizens, his servants, his subjects, listening to his voice and not him saying, you know, I'd, I'd really like it if you guys would just be better people. No, he is saying to you, stop it. Put this to death. Go out and make it happen, my citizens. Go out and kill these things, my subjects. And this is what he asks us to put to death. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. And you might say, well, man, this list, it sounds pretty focused on a couple of things. It is, mostly because this church was struggling with an idea that because they loved Jesus, they could do whatever they wanted with their bodies. They could behave in any way they liked. And it specifically manifests itself in sexual sin, the false teachers that they were fighting where they were genuinely struggling with sexual sin being something that their teachers were telling them was acceptable. And so God tells them specifically to put to death sexual immorality. And we've talked about this in the past. We you know, had that whole message on sexual immorality. And sexual immorality, according to biblical standards, is anything outside of one man, one woman, one lifetime. To put practices outside of that to death in your life. So that means intimacy before marriage. That means intimacy outside of marriage. That means intimacy that is not marriage. That's between two men or two women or two thises or that's. That all of that is unacceptable in God's eyes. And he says to us not, don't do that so that you can be blessed. He commands us to put it to death. Not just try harder, but kill it in our own lives and minds. Now what's interesting, something like this, did you guys know it's almost June? No longer is it gonna be May, it's gonna, we're getting to June, right? We're getting to June, and what's June? Well, we all know it's coming up, right? We've already seen as the, the, the commercials are starting, the, the, the flags are coming out, the clothes are out at Target, right? Pride Month is coming up, and all of us are like, oh, sexual immorality, this, this next month is terrible, oh, it's just the worst in sexual immorality, and you're not wrong, but what I want you to remember is that it, this is kind of like celebrating ice cream in a way. If June were to be the month that we celebrate Neapolitan ice cream, every other month of the year we celebrate vanilla ice cream as people and a culture. 
You see, June, when we're talking about sexual immorality, it's Pride Month, and we all go, oh, that's not cool. The problem is that July, August, September, October, November, December, January, February, March, April, and May, they're also sexual immorality months. And we will celebrate it those months by the things that we watch and the things that we listen to and the things that we read. But then in June, all of a sudden, we're offended because it's Neapolitan month. Vanilla is okay, but not Neapolitan. And brothers and sisters, we are supposed to be putting to death in our own hearts and minds sexual immorality. Anything outside of one man, one woman, one lifetime should be on our no-go list should be on our, we do not approve of it, we do not accept it, we will love those who are outside of God's standard, but we will not put our stamp of approval on them. Because we're supposed to be putting it to death in our own lives. The second thing, he says, impurity. Any behavior that corrupts us according to God's standards. And now we start getting into really meddling. You might go, well, I'm faithful to the one I love, always have been. I didn't even date in high school because no girl would kiss me. That's me. Um, right? And, but, but what things are you thinking about? What other behaviors are you and I partaking of that makes us impure? Especially things of a sexual nature? Are you, are you watching things? Are you reading things? Are you listening to things? Men love picture pornography. Women love emotional pornography. That, that we all are, are happy, like I mentioned, 11 months out of the year to consume things, maybe not to participate in, but to consume things that make us impure in thought to consume things on the television and through the radio. I mean, songs we grew up with in high school, you know? We can, we can all go back and go, I know what they mean, but I'm going to pretend like I don't and sing along. But we know. It's an interesting thing. Uh, my grandmother, she was meticulous as a housekeeper, and, and she had one room where you could be human and then the basement, right? But the rest of the house, you had to be careful, you could, in the TV room, you could eat, you could put your feet up, you could behave like a creature. In the basement, nobody cared because it smelled funny and it was dark. But every other room in the house, especially the formal living room, anybody remember a formal living room? My grandmother's formal living room, white carpet, right? And, and those, those sofas, the, the floral pattern, and from time to time, she'd have the, 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 fabric, or the, uh, the vinyl covers from time to time. It wasn't an ongoing always thing. It just depended on her mood. And boy, howdy, when you walked into grandma's house, you did not just go straight onto the white carpet. Right? You didn't, you didn't just go tromping with your shoes after walking through the lawn. Didn't matter how long you'd been traveling to get there. It did, you, you certainly did not sit down on the sofas. She called them divans or something like that. It just it always had to be something special and spiffy with my grandma, right? So, so you learned that there is no way you would walk into grandma's house and just behave wantonly and flippantly with her perfect and pure and white and just so 
living room. There's no way you'd just go tromping in with dirty shoes in clothes that were not pristine. What's interesting is we serve a God and have a king who is infinitely more holy than anybody's grandma. And yet, we would walk into his presence with shoes stained by the sins and wrongful behaviors of this world and we don't even think twice about it. We are not shaken to our core by the impurities that we would drag into the very presence of a perfect God. No way we'd walk into grandma's living room, but dragging all kinds of nonsense from everyday life into the presence of my Savior? Oh yeah, that's cool. Now listen, you don't have to be perfect to come into the presence of Jesus, but you should want to be. You should want to be pure. That's what Paul is saying. That's what the Bible is telling us. Put to death impurity, this corruption that comes about by our behaviors, especially those that are sinful and sexual in nature. He says to put to death lust. And what is lust? Lust is any sexual desire that is improperly placed. And we can look in scripture, where is sexual desire properly placed? One man, one woman, one lifetime. And any desire outside of that should be put to death. There's a discussion going on right now as to whether or not someone can be uh, same-sex attracted and be a faithful Christian. Now, now, yeah, for some of us it might seem simple, but, but they are celibate. They are not partaking in homosexual sex. They have decided to forego that and be celibate in honor of their relationship with Jesus Christ, but they still call themselves same-sex attracted. Well, Paul says that that is lust. The Bible says that should be put to death. The same as your struggle with someone of the opposite sex. The same as your issues with desiring someone who is not your spouse we must put to death improperly placed sexual desire. And then he goes on and he just opens it wide open and says, evil desire. Any desire that's evil, put it to death. Now in in the Greek, the the word really kind of means a strong desire for either evil things and how do we know if something is evil? We go back to God's standards and say, how does God view this? So strong desire for any evil things or specifically in this context, it could just be narrowed down to one who's not your spouse. This ongoing desire for someone who is not the one that you're married to. And Paul is not writing to this church and saying, life will be better if you do these things. He is commanding them under the authority of the Holy Spirit, put this to death. This is not optional if you're a Christian. This is not a maybe sort of you can, you must. And then finally he says, put to death greed, which he says is idolatry. And greed is not just about money, though in our culture it certainly is about money. It's not just about money. 
It's a continual desire for more. A continual desire for more. That just that describes me at a buffet like to a T, right? Oh, it's so good. More, more, more. How many of us does this describe how we behave in life? We are continually desiring more of everything. And what that boils down to, why that's idolatry, is not that you are necessarily worshiping the thing that you desire, but you're making yourself God. The, the, the highest thing in your life, the thing that you serve the most, is not the stuff, and it's not Christ. It's you. Greed is idolatry because it is a continual desire for more, and you work hard to meet your own desires. And so we are told to put all of these, these sins of the body to death. You are dead to sin. You died to sin. And now, as a Christian, you don't just sit back and go, these are good ideas and I'll do them if God you know, really convicts me and lays it on my heart. We are commanded to get rid of them in our lives. And I know that sounds harsh. I, I want to draw a distinction, though. God is not saying to you, do these things and then I'll save you. He says to us, if you have believed on my son Jesus, the Christ, the Savior, the Messiah, I will save you from an eternity of separation and damnation, and I will make you my own, and I will take you from darkness into the kingdom of the Son, and now, because you are a citizen of a different kingdom, this is how you must live. It is not do this to be saved. It is because you are saved, this is what it looks like for you to live. This is what it looks like. Put to death the sins of the body. And he goes on and says this in verses six and seven. Because of these. Now, what are the these? Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. We have to understand that this is not if you want a blessed life and uh, you know everything's going to be okay eternally but if you want a blessed life do these things. Paul is saying to us, scripture is saying to us, the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. These things in your life, not being put to death, not being rejected, these are the very things that bring upon someone the very wrath of God because of their disobedience. Now, I got to tell you that the wrath of God is not something that you should just be flipping about. When we talk about the wrath of God, it is the full measure of the, the punishment that you deserve for your sin. The full outpouring of what you deserve because of your disobedience. And really, what we're hearing from Scripture here is, if you are not willing to put these things to death, you are not really a Christian. If you look at this list and think it's optional, you are not taking your faith seriously because you don't have a genuine faith in Jesus Christ. 
put them to death. The thing about some of these sins and some of these issues is that you will have to kill them every day. Like a daily choice to just beat the fool out of lust. A daily choice to take your greedy heart and slay it upon the altar to your Savior. A daily choice to be obedient. Because if there is no obedience, there is a good chance there is no salvation. Literally, the, 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 the Greek there says the sons of disobedience, the children of disobedience. The wrath of God is coming upon the children of disobedience. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. In other words, there's a complete understanding. This is how we used to be, but now in Jesus, we're different. We used to practice these things. We used to walk in them when we lived amongst the sons of disobedience. But now that we have been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and placed into the kingdom of the Son by the grace of the Father and the work of the Son upon the cross, now our lives are different and we're able to be obedient and we're called to be obedient and put these things to death. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10, another letter that Paul wrote to a different church under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Do you not, or don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Don't you know that? It should seem like a no-brainer for everybody. But here's what he says. The unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom. Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people. What is sexual immorality? Anything outside of one man, one woman, one lifetime. No sexually immoral people. Idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males. No thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. Danger is some of us might see ourselves in this list, huh? God's word says... People who continue in this life will not see the kingdom of God. Period. Do not try and deceive yourself. Don't try and talk yourself out of it. Don't listen to that TV preacher or that guy on TikTok who will tell you, it's okay, that's not what God's word really means because what it really means is do what you want. Don't deceive yourself and don't allow yourself to be deceived. Revelation 21.8 says this, the cowards, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters. Uh, what's, a, what's an idolater? Well, what's greed? Idolatry. If greed is you, you're an idolater. And all liars will go be politicians. No, it says this, Their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. The promised destination for everyone who continues in disobedience is the second death, the lake of fire. That is the guaranteed promised destination for everyone who refuses to walk in obedience. 1 Corinthians 6.11, going back to 1 Corinthians 6, though it encourages us just like Colossians does. Colossians says, you used to be this way. 1 Corinthians 6.11 says this, and some of you used to be like this. This list used to describe who you were, 
But now in Jesus, you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified or made right with God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You died to that. And now you've been made clean and alive in Jesus Christ. But you can't continue in it if you're dead to it. You can't approve it if you're dead to it. You can't smile and nod and say, oh, God will understand if you're dead to it. If you're dead to it, you must in turn put it to death, brothers and sisters. Moving on to verse 8 of Colossians 3. Now, put away all the following. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. So he moves from put to death sins of the body, and now he's saying put away these other sins, these other practices. Now, you might wonder, oh, put away. I bet put away. That sounds much softer, much easier, right? So this is just a recommendation, isn't it? Please. This is just a, if you want life to be better. No, this is, once again, a command. And to put away, the, the way this word works is essentially to take off, to, to remove these practices, the same as you would remove dirty clothes in order to put on a fresh pair of clothing. The same as you would remove dirty shoes so you could walk on grandma's carpet. You remove these things, and it's an intentional choice and a command. So he says, to put away all the following, anger, anger. So what is anger? Anger is simply an ongoing, continuing emotion, and you know what it is? It is that, if your life is defined by anger, it doesn't matter if it comes from Facebook and Twitter or the person in front of you or... or the kids at home, or your spouse, or your job, if your life is defined by anger, you need to put it away. To take it off. To make a daily, deliberate choice, sometimes two or three times a day, to take off the anger. What else? Wrath. Wrath, the best way of describing it for us is just angry outbursts. Do the people in your life walk around in constant fear of you blowing up? And I've been that guy. And I, and I think that, that there are days where I still, Shelly's like, she's got the kids behind her, like, watch out. Looks like dad's got it pent up a little bit. Probably something on Twitter. <laughs> Used to be much worse. But, but, but I, have, I have, by the grace of God, been able to take it off, to shed that clothing of wrath. That, that is he going to blow up now or in five minutes or, or later? Or, but but to, to slowly become someone more Christ-like over time. Does wrath, the fear of angry outbursts at any moment, does that describe you? And it can come from so many places, can it? Stress, frustration, physical pain. Things not turning out the way you hoped. But nowhere is an angry outburst justified in Scripture. Nowhere. And so it is something that should not be part 
of the Christian's life. Take off, put away vicious thoughts, malice, vicious thoughts, the desire for evil in the life of another. How many of you have got a doo-doo list of folks? Any, anybody? Okay, Ed's honest. Anybody? I mean, I guess we don't, we don't want to like make a big, but, but whether it's intentional or unintentional, think about, think about your relationships. Are there people in your life today that you, you wish for harm to come upon them? That like they have hurt you so badly or, or things in your relationship went so sideways that it's not just that you don't like them and don't want to affiliate with them any longer, but that you genuinely wish bad things to come into their life. And you can justify it by saying it's what they deserve. If we all got what we deserved, we would be in hell right now. And so saying that it's what they deserve is no justification for wishing evil upon them. And, and, and scripture says, put it away. Take it off. Not as a choice, not as a, you'll, you'll, just, you'll be so much more content if you can get rid of that bitterness. You'll find peace. Now that's true, but that's not your motivation. Your motivation is that God says, get rid of it. Stop it. <laughs> Sorry. There's a, there's a mad TV sketch with Bob Newhart. If, it's, it's in my head. Uh, Bob Newhart was counseling a lady, comes in, she's got this issue, God has this terrible fear of being uh, locked in a box, dying in a box, I think is, is, is what it is. And uh, he's like, well, you know, I'll tell you what to do. Stop it. Stop thinking that way. Stop feeling that way. I mean, he doesn't even explain it, but just the words are, stop it. Well, I have this other issue. Okay, tell me about it. What should I do? Stop it. The answer for so many issues that we struggle with in in, in our Christian walk is simply, stop it. Choose differently. Stop it. Malice, get rid of malice. Get rid of slander. Speaking a lie about another And even just the simple act of gossiping can be slander. Passing on information that you don't know if it's 100% true. Even if you say, I've got a prayer request, and then you gossip, it's still gossip, it's still slander, it's still something that you should put away, that you should stop. What's next? Filthy language. The word here, it, it simply means filth or abusive and obscene speech. Abusive and obscene speech. Now, obscene speech is interesting. It's something that, that uh, is kind of culturally relevant in a way. Uh, one of the commentaries that I read said that in this day and age, it would have been obscene to speak of crucifixion. Because crucifixion was such a hated thing, such a... a terrible act, something that you didn't want to have to ever see or experience, something that was so shameful that you, in polite Roman culture, you would not have talked about crucifixion. And so that would have been obscene in that day and age. And yet Christians would have spoken of the crucifixion of Jesus, wouldn't they? Because that's critical and central to the gospel. And so it's, it's a little bit of, of culturally relative but, but we know when we say something and we shouldn't, don't we? We feel convicted. 
We feel like something's dirty in our mouth. At least we should as believers. And if you're in a genuine relationship with Christ, you need to put away and stop filthy language. Now listen, I understand it can be a hard habit to break. And you cannot replace obscene and abusive language with the clean versions. Right? You, you, it just, because what is your heart actually doing? Speaking the exact same intent. It's just you've managed to use different words coming out of your mouth. This is not just about the words. This is about the intent in what you speak. Are you meaning to hurt someone and tear them down? Are you speaking things that are obscene? And when we think of obscenity, we should not just think about the person across the table. We should probably more so think about our Savior. And would he be offended by what we say? Would our king take issue with the words that we use? And look, I want to be careful to point out, I preach this and I'm working on this. But I understand that we got to keep working on it. And that put to death and put away are daily practices for the Christian seeking to walk in obedience to their king. But the problem in all of it comes if we make any of this optional. If you are a Christian, if Jesus is your king, none of this is optional. It is all commanded for you. Jesus himself says this about speaking in Matthew 12. Brood of vipers, how can you speak good things when you are evil? For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. What we say reveals who we are. I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to account for every careless word they speak. Wrap your head around that. Standing before Jesus on the day of judgment. And he goes through the list and says, right here, when you said that, why'd you do that? Well, I, 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 but it was a hammer. I mean, a hammer on my thumb. Jesus, come on. Yeah, no excuse. I love you. You're home. No excuse. What about they're in traffic? Yeah, but you don't understand that person. Welcome home. Nah. You get it? Giving an account for every careless word we speak. Not judged for it and condemned, but held accountable for it. And so this is a bigger issue than we tend to think. Put away the sins of the tongue. Put them away. Get rid of them. As we move on, here's the encouragement. Verses 9 and 10. Do not lie to one another. Another command, by the way. Speak the truth to one another. Since you have put off. Now, what's interesting is we've moved from commands to a description of what should have already happened in our lives. You have put off. This is a past tense. You've already been obedient. You're working on this obedience thing. He, it is this 
Do these things, and I know you're working on them already, aren't you? Aren't you? Aren't you, brothers and sisters? Do these, stop doing these things, obey Christ, and I know you already are trying. You're you're already working on it. Since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. What is the new self? Now, have put on is once again, it's past tense. And both of these are once again a picture of taking off old clothes, putting on new clothes. The new self, the new self that we put on is looking like Jesus. You are being renewed. Now that that phrase, you are being renewed, is as we walk in obedience to the put to death and the put away, God is also doing a work in us. He is renewing us. We are active in putting to death and putting away, and then we receive his work in our life as he makes us new. In knowledge, according to the image of your creator, put off the old and put on the new. Why? Because in Christ, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. It really boils down to, we would like to be able to define ourselves by some either quality or maybe even sin of our past. We hyphenate our Christianity. Well, you know, I'm a same-sex attracted Christian. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pornography loving Christian, but you know, I mean, it's, it's great, right? I, I'm, a, I, I'm a greedy Christian. <laughs> how, how wonderful, right? There's all these lists of the things that we want to hold on to. Well, I'm a lying Christian, but it's okay. I mean, I just cheat on taxes. It's no big deal. We talk about things and we try and justify ourselves and and, and the Holy Spirit is saying, none of these old titles matter. None of them count. Get rid of all of them. Put them all to death because in Christ, there's neither Greek nor Jew. In other words, pagan or religious. There's neither circumcision or uncircumcision. Right body characteristics or not. Barbarian or Scythian. We go from barbarian, which is like, bad people to Scythian, which is like the worst of the bad people. So we, you know, there's neither Pittsburgher or person from Philadelphia. Ooh, right? Uh, uh, you know, slave and free, nothing about our past matters when we're in Christ Jesus. But Christ is all and he is in all. He is the the totality of who we are. He's the summation of life. All the old ways of looking at ourselves are gone through Christ. Stop hyphenating your life. Stop making excuses for your inability and unwillingness to put things to death and put things away. And once again, I want to clarify, you do not earn your salvation by obedience. But if you are saved, you should be obedient. And if you are unwilling to be obedient there is a good chance you are not saved. Because you don't take Jesus seriously enough to do what he says. And all the old ways of looking at ourselves are gone in Christ, and instead we're supposed to be doing these things, putting to death sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, greed, putting away anger, wrath, malice, slander, filthy language, lying, to put off the old self and to put on the new self in the image of our creator. Why do we do this? 
You, every one of you, whether you feel like it or not, the truth about you spiritually is that you are dead to sin in Christ Jesus. And if you're dead to it, it has no power over you, so stop giving it power and authority in your life. You are dead to it. You are alive in Christ. And only in Christ will you ever be alive, genuinely. Only in Jesus. You can try everything this world has to offer, and you will never be alive. But in Jesus, you can have nothing else, and you will be fully alive. And this is about a a change in, in focus. I want you to look at these lists and not think these are the things I have to stop doing, but rather, this is the person I have to allow Christ to help me stop being. Does that that make sense? You want to stop being sexually immoral. Not that you stop doing it, but you stop being it. That doesn't define you anymore. You're dead to it. Impurity, stop being impure because you're dead to it. Instead, be alive in Christ. Stop being a person who is consumed with lust and evil desire and greed. Stop being a person who is angry and wrathful and full of malice and slander and filthy language and lying. And get those things out because that's not who you are anymore. Take them off and put on looking and acting like Jesus. Be more like Christ as you stop being all those other things. So today the challenge for all of us is to to look at these lists and to realize these are not optional choices. If you see yourself in either of these first two lists, you see anything that that's, that's who I am today, that's how I live, those are the choices I make. You need to, if you are a believer and your faith is genuine, you need to make a choice to put those things to death and to put them away. And this is, not, this is not optional. Jesus is not saying, if you want life to be better, if you want to be a better Christian, if you want to be a disciple, if you want to go into ministry, if you want to be a Sunday school teacher, he's not saying that. He's saying, if you are mine, stop it. Make a choice daily to be different and stop being like this. Now, I, I want to move on just real quick and, and remind you of the challenge this week or, or this summer to attend regularly, to listen attentively, and then to apply faithfully what you might hear from this letter to all of us. And that, that last one's probably the hardest to apply faithfully. If you see yourself in either of these lists, make the choice today Stop it. Every day, make the choice. Every morning. You might have to get in the car and instead of listening to oldies from high school, you listen to classical because there's no sex or drugs in classical music. At least there's no words, so you don't know if there is. (laughs) To, To make a choice about what you're watching in television, about who you're talking to and how you talk to them at work. To, to, to make a choice about, you get it. I can't name all the choices because you're gonna come up across hundreds of them every day. And will you put things to death and put them away? Sorry, I went a little long today. It's Ed's fault because he talked too long to start. But to go back to that, 
I'm proud of, of our church. And I know not everybody has pitched in, but it is the spirit of our church to give. And so everybody, we should count this as a win for who we are in Christ, but also realize there are more battles to be fought in order to serve Christ. And so keep your eyes open. Ed, thank you for having an open eyes and an open heart and being willing to bring us a need. Others of you, if you see a need, let us know. There's a good chance we can fill small ones, maybe some bigger ones. Anyway, let's close with a word of prayer. With these lists in our eyes and our hearts and an honest assessment of where we stand with our Savior. And are we obedient or are we walking in disobedience? And should we change some stuff about what we're deciding to do on a daily basis? Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for just how clear it is. Forgive us for muddying up your truth. Please forgive us for softening things that are hard and making hard things that are soft. Today, you have told us so clearly that you want to be at work within us, that there is this beautiful grace that can flow from you to everyone who believes on your son, Jesus. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the fact that you paid the price for each and every one who would believe. You absorbed the wrath of the Father. You paid for sin. You cleanse us by your blood and and everything can be forgiven if we will come to you as Lord and Savior and make you our King. Thank you for the softness and the comfort of those words. But I also thank you for the hardness that when we are yours, you have commanded us to put things to death and to put them away. May we not not make those words soft and not make that truth soft, but instead to hold on to its hardness and to take it into our heart and to say, I want to be obedient. Help me to put things to death. Help me to put things away. That you might be glorified and that I might walk in obedience. Thank you for this opportunity to grow, Lord Jesus. I pray that everyone here this morning would look at these lists, these commands, and take this opportunity to mature.